Welcome to today's Lost in the Supermarket podcast. My name is Annette Maggi and I'm the Executive Director of the Retail Dietitians Business Alliance. Today's topic of our podcast is food prescription programs. Are they truly a prescription for success at retail? Food prescription programs are a growing trend across the retail industry, promoting produce through partnerships with healthcare and nonprofit organizations. Many produce prescription programs target budget-conscious shoppers or those who participate in federal programs like the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Some are focused on consumers with health conditions, including heart disease or diabetes. Wholesome Wave operates a program with $1.5 million in funding from Target. Kroger launched a pilot project where doctors refer patients to nutrition experts at the retailer. Today, we're fortunate to have two retail dietitians with us, both who have experience with food prescription programs. Jillian Griffith is an in-store nutritionist at Giant, and Lorena Kaplan is the West Regional Dietitian for HEB in Texas. Today, they'll share their insight and experience with produce prescription programs. Jillian and Lorena, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So I'd love to kick off with both of you just really giving a description of your retailer's food prescription program. So Jillian, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. So... In March of 2019, Giant Food, we actually launched our produce prescription program in March of 2019. The process for developing it started way before, but it's in partnership with nonprofit DC Greens, DC Department of Health, and AmeriHealth Caritas. And through the program, we offer Ward 8 residents in Washington, D.C., who are Medicaid beneficiaries through AmeriHealth Caritas, D.C., and currently experiencing diet-related chronic illness, and who also are experiencing food insecurity, they are eligible for the program and essentially receive a prescription for fruits and vegetables from their healthcare provider. And those prescriptions are filled at the pharmacy in my store, Giant on Alabama Avenue in Southeast DC. So the patient who has now met with their physician and was written a prescription, they check in at the pharmacy and are able to receive prescription in the, in the form of a, of a coupon or a voucher for $20 a week in fresh produce. And they can either redeem their one week for $20 or get two weeks at a time, so $40, totaling $80 a month in fresh produce. And then they're also connected with me and the in-store nutritionist for either individual consultations or I have I have a variety of different classes that I offer in the store. We have a wellness space in the store that we also opened up at the same time as launching this program. So in my wellness space, I do weekly diabetes classes as well as other, other classes and store tours and things along those lines. And Jillian, how many people do you have participating in the program today? So I'm not sure the latest numbers, but a little over 400, I believe. The, so this is a pilot program, and I think their goal is 600 for the pilot. DC Greens is working hard to, you know, get additional funding to expand the program. So I know that they're hoping to expand it beyond that, those initial pilot numbers. And it's just at your one store, right? Right now, yes. Right now, it is just at my one store. Um, so there's five clinics in Ward 8 that are participating. So, you know, to be eligible for the program, you have to be seeing a, a medical provider at one of those clinics. And then you also have to have AmeriHealth insurance to be enrolled in the program. So it's, it's a pilot for right now. 
Lorena, do you want to share a little bit of background on the program at HEB? Absolutely. So our program at HEB was called Prescription from Produce. And just to let you know, while we come in more from a perspective of what we attempted, um, the program no longer exists, but I think there's going to be some uh, really great findings once we finish going through all of our data that we collected to be able to make sure whenever we do try this program again, that it, it does become successful because there was a lot of great learnings through what we offered. And so through Prescription for Produce, this was a program that was actually offered to pregnant or expecting moms. They were sourced from a local OBGYN. So we partnered with a couple of, of doctors that um, could identify the need for, for assistance for produce. And with this demographic, basically you were eligible if you were eligible for SNAP. And those are basically the qualifications. You needed to be at least in your first trimester and eligible for SNAP to be considered for the program. We then did have a third party help with sponsorship and funding for the program. And so logistically, it was managed through HEB and our partnering OBGYNs. And, and we, we both played a part in making sure we were going to have participants to come through the program. And so the way the, the program was laid out is once we identified our participants, they were, they were invited to come to HEB to have a grocery store tour. And then that was going to be followed by a cooking demo. The cooking demo was going to incorporate all of these wonderful vegetable sources. So the funding did cover vegetable sourcing, vegetable fruit sourcing from the fresh produce, from our frozen department, and then our in-aisle cans. And so we went through the store, gathered these items, came to a teaching room to be able to put these items together. What was really great about this program was how interactive we could get with the participants. And they really drove the show for a cooking demo in terms of picking out what they wanted to try and picking out seasonings and, and really trying to get a feel for, okay, this is something I can start to incorporate in my everyday cooking. So that was the really fun piece about that, being able to interact with these women. And so the program ended up running about six months, in my opinion, definitely not long enough to be able to get something off the road. I think um, we needed to do it a little bit longer. But um, like I said, right now, with all of the data that we collected, we're currently going through the learnings. And we do expect those, those findings to be published. So more to come. Yeah, for sure. And Lorena, it's interesting because your program really focused on all forms of fruits and vegetables, not just fresh produce, it sounds like. Correct. Yes. And so we definitely highlighted all the sources, which made it a little challenging from, from some of the other pieces I think we'll get into in a little bit. But, you know, to, to include all forms and different SKUs of, of what would be eligible to be purchased with this, with this gift card was, and that's one thing I didn't mention, the participants were given a gift card to be able to purchase their items. Well, and Lorena, that's a great segue into a discussion around, obviously, there are some logistical things that have to be managed at the retail company for implementation of any kind of food or produce prescription program. Lorena, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so HEB took on the, the logistical piece of making sure that on the front end, you know, these participants wouldn't have any trouble coming to the register to be able to ring out these things with their gift cards. Um, with that being said, on the back end of that, there's a whole lot of work being done by our team to include all those POUs and items that can be purchased. Aside from that, you know, that was that was mostly HEB's part and play in this. Aside from that, myself making sure that I had everything ready logistically for rooms and of course my time 
be able to provide these classes. The classes would have always been led by one of our dietitians. And so then the other piece of that is sourcing these, sourcing these participants, right? So from a retail standpoint, definitely working really closely with, with the folks who, who helped to create the gift card to uh, source all the SKUs and, and make sure that they were included. That was a big, big planning piece. Jillian, what would you add from your perspective related to logistics for the retailer? So from our end, we've had such a great partnership with DC Greens through this, and they've really been kind of like the pipe work in the background, connecting all the different partners and really, you know, helping to manage everything happening on the clinical side where participants are engaging with their medical providers and just raising awareness about the program and helping with training on the clinic side for enrolling into the program, um, as well as in Mayor Health Caritas, they've really been leading the efforts from that end. Essentially, we've been responsible for the processes starting at the pharmacy counter, or ending at checkout. So that includes our pharmacists, our pharmacy team, upkeeping the redemption log. So, you know, training for the pharmacy team and then keeping what this to date has been a manual log at the pharmacy counter, connecting the the patient ID codes because this is a this is a pilot program and there's data being collected and so everything is kind of HIPAA protected. So you know matching the the codes with the participant ID numbers and all that's been a manual process and that's you know being shared back to to Giant and then kind of to what Lorena was talking about, but updating the, the UPC codes. So with all of our produce, you know which is ever-changing on the shelves. So updating the different produce that's attached to the voucher um, as new produce items are added to the shelves. And then also just associate education at the store level. So making all of, making sure all of our store associates are aware of the program and what items are eligible and being able to just help with customer service. And you know, at the beginning of the program, there were a lot of glitches. So making sure that we're still serving our customers and you know, making them happy if there there was a hiccup with the voucher not working or, you know, if there's questions. So there's there's been a lot of support needed, hands-on support needed from not only our in-store associates, but time from our corporate associates too, to make sure that everything's running smoothly and we're collecting all the learnings. And we started off with weekly calls. So it's, it's definitely been a learning process and a lot of logistics in the background. And then also for me, so as the in-store nutritionist trying to connect with all of the participants in the program, make sure I'm providing classes that are relevant for their needs, um, connecting with the RDs that are in the clinical space and seeing what they're providing in that space to make sure that I'm providing, you know, needed information um, from the grocery store end. So it's, it's been a lot of moving pieces and a lot of learning over the past year. We've, um, you know, the program's been around a year now and it happened so quickly. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, both of you are kind of bringing up that point from my perspective that it's not just really about the cost of the produce, especially in the upfront setup of, you know, there's changes that have to be made to POS systems and, and to your point in your situation, um, Jillian, in the pharmacy and then both of your time. And so as we kind of evaluate these programs, I think there's a key piece around looking at what's the total cost, right, of not just that cost of the gift card or 
the produce itself, but the total cost really to the retailer as well as the partners. You both talked a little bit about the partners that you had in these programs, but I think that funding sources is a really important topic as other retailers may be considering doing food prescription or produce prescription programs. Can you talk about how funding sources are identified and then secured for these programs? Yeah, I can start. So for our program, the funding really, like I said, DC Greens has really been the pipe work um, behind it and securing the funding and bringing on different partners. So they've done, they've definitely done the legwork on this and are continuing to do so. So one of the biggest funders has been the DC Department of Health, as well as AmeriHealth Caritas. And then they've also over the last couple months have been able to bring on private funders or corporations through their philanthropic legs. So, and they're continuing to, you know, seek funders and, and use this as a case study to, you know, hopefully in the future, use healthcare dollars for programs like this across the country. Yeah, same at, same at HGB. If you're, if you're looking for, you know, where, where should I even start to look for funding for this? Of course, within our communities, we all have those health and wellness-minded individuals that want to to be able to help with cases like this. And, you know, we talk about the need almost on a daily basis within our communities and the need for more produce, more consumption of produce. And so, you know, just seeking out those health and wellness minded folks to to be able to to get that sponsorship, there's going to be, you know, several for each community. Ours, luckily, they have been, and I won't, I won't share their, their name right now, but they have been, oh gosh, for many years, I would say over 10 years, great partnership within the community, within the San Antonio community, to be able to provide funding for different initiatives within health and wellness. Definitely grateful for them, uh, but, but you know, look out for those folks that are health and wellness focused. Right. Lorena, you bring up a good point that we all know, and the three of us are dietitians, right? But I think in general, people know that eating more fruits and vegetables is probably the singularly most important thing that all Americans could do to live happier, healthier lives, right? Um, But how do you look at success from the retail perspective in these programs, as well as I think from the partner perspective? Lorena, do you want to start? I'll tell you um, specifically for the program that we did, there was two areas that we were looking at to see if this program would be successful. One of them was were we changing that basket behavior? Was this consumer purchasing more produce even after they use their gift card to purchase their produce, where they continue to just really increase that basket number. So we did look into that. The other thing that we think of just being more simplistic is, did we have participation? You know, I'll I'll tell you that every class that we set, we had about 10 to 15 participants sign up, but our show up was always so low, would go down to about three to four people showing up. And so, that piece we were just, we could never figure out was so mind boggling to us. Why aren't they coming there? We're going to give them some free produce. We get excited about that and sharing those really fun ideas that we have as dietitians. But part of what we were measuring is how many people are actually interested in this and how many people would actually utilize it. And so unfortunately within our program, that was a big piece that we saw. Wow, this is just not being, you know, it's not successful because we're not getting the the headcount that we'd like. And so just an idea and a thought to put out there as to, all right, if we offer something like this, what are we going to do to make sure um, that we are getting the headcount, those people in the seats to be able to fill that slots that have been been secured. And so 
it was just two things. It was participation for us and it was taking a look at that basket increase of produce. And so those were two measurements we used. Yeah, and you have to really hope, right, like that you're building a new habit for people, that they've started to really enjoy that increased consumption of fruits and vegetables and so that it will continue even if the program ends too. Delina, is there anything you'd add? Yeah, so I mean, for us, and I don't have data, specific data to share right now, but success for us, you know, we're tracking new customers. So we see new customers through this program, new traffic into our store, change in basket size, looking at the helpfulness of the basket or increased consumption of fruits and vegetables, dollars spent in the produce section. And well, I don't have that specific data, but I can say that the impact of the program, in addition to just the other changes in the store, like I said, we added the wellness space. We we did a total store refresh simultaneous to this program launching, but all of that together has been very positive for the store in comparison to other similar stores in our brand serving you know, a similar demographic. But also for us, I would say success is increased engagement in community. So through the programs I'm offering in the wellness space and just engagement with different community partners that we would measure success that way too. Yeah, which is a really good point. You know, retailers have historically been especially grocery retailers have been kind of a central part of any community. And I think this is definitely a way to extend that reach and really build partnerships that are meaningful. For sure. One of the things that's interesting to me is if if you look at published research, there is public research on these types of programs. Most of it focused on programs that are driving produce prescriptions for SNAP participants. I'm curious from both your perspectives of do you think these programs can work with a variety of grocery shoppers or how are these programs reaching a greater variety of shoppers? You know, you automatically think, well, who's who's in greater need, right? Who gets less exposure or who saves their, their dollars for certain types of spending? And then that's when our SNAP participants come to mind. But reaching a, a variety of grocery shoppers, you know, just working aside from this program, that we tried uh, working with the individual from from all demographics on a day-to-day, seeing patients uh, within nutrition services at HEB. You know, it's not discriminated to just SNAP people that need, SNAP participants that need a greater intake of produce. So how do we really, you know, get that reach greater and, and, you know, see if it could be helpful for other folks? It really just comes down to making sure that you know, you're placing that importance on what, you know, what that consumer needs. And so across the board, I would say from the day-to-day at HEB, what we do in nutrition services, we are trying to reach every individual that we know for the most part needs to increase their, their produce consumption. And I guess from our end, I would definitely echo that. So this program isn't specific for SNAP participants. Um, our produce prescription program, essentially, you know, at when you're meeting with your physician, you would just need to screen positive. They have a, a screener um, for food insecurity. And then also you would need to have hypertension, prediabetes or diabetes. So it's not just specific for um, SNAP. So you're really tying in some of the health conditions as well. And you know those health conditions too, where we know higher produce consumption can make a big difference. Exactly, yes. Yeah, and that's very similar, I think, to what Kroger is trying to do is to tie it to, I think, diabetes in particular right now, and they may expand that later on. Yeah, it's kind of that food as medicine um, mentality or approach. Right, right, absolutely. 
So if you had to say what the top three factors are to make these programs successful, Dillian, what would you say those top three things are? I think first and foremost would just be the strong partnership between Giant and the participating organizations. So DC Greens, like I said, has been, you know, just the leader in this and pulling everyone together. So strong partnerships, that private public partnership is definitely key. I would say patience. (laughs) So patience as we worked on all the different kinks in the program and implementing the different processes at the store level. So definitely like leadership buy-in as we may have hit roadblocks and just, you know, needed additional time or assistance from intra-organization to get this program off the ground. And then also I would say um, this program, it's unique because AmeriHealth Caritas is sharing their claims data to show that programs like this can have an impact on health outcomes and that healthcare dollars can be used for this program to have an impact on health outcomes. So that's what's so, I think, key with this program is that the claims is being used. And we have our DC Greens is in partnership with a third-party evaluator who is looking, who is combing through all that claims data and connecting it um, with the data that Giant's sharing, which I will say took, you know, some time to get through all the legal processes for that. So that's where that patient comes into play. I think that would be the third is definitely that claim data that we have or that the evaluator has access to to prove out this concept. Well, and I think, Jillian, that'll be impactful in being able to justify extensions of these programs and to secure other funders, too. I mean, exactly. Yes. Yeah, that's really impressive. Lorena, what would you say are the factors that are most essential to make these programs successful? Yeah, and I'll really kind of take some of the learnings that we found in our program and what things that I felt would have helped a little bit to continue the program. Um, number one is ownership. So we've got all of these folks coming in and, and really excited to play, right? Yeah, we want to help. We want to be a part of this. This sounds fantastic. Um, let's do it. But the partnership really needs to be owned by at least one person, right? One overarching entity. I, I think that's really important to keep things moving and driving. Otherwise, you're going to get sucked back into your everyday real job, right? Because I feel like things like this become a, they become kind of like a side job from your real job. And so you have to have that one piece of owner, that one owner that's going to help drive this ship. The second thing I saw that we really needed some work on was marketing. Marketing's a, a big piece, which is really tough, right? Because we're talking about individuals and making sure we're protecting HIPAA and, and, and all the things we think about in, in, a, in a health setting, professional world. And I don't know the answer to this, actually, how you could do this, uh, Annette, but but the marketing piece is really being able to make sure that people are aware the program is there, making sure that they're utilizing it, and then just really making it attractive to them, right? And then that last piece, really central for a successful program, is the data collection. Like Julian mentioned too, what you what they're doing, the great work they're doing. That piece is essential because if you you know spend all your time and energy in doing a really this is a, a really big you know take on here. You want to be able to support your efforts and then get your learnings from your efforts. And so I think those to me just come really top of mind and would be really important to making a program like this successful. Yeah, and there's a lot of parts and pieces. And I think the comments you've both made, there's a lot of players from the partner to the participants to the retail employees. 
that all have to be educated and in, in some level marketed too about the program. You know, even with internal employees, you've got to market the benefit to the retailer so they're committed to their part in all of this. So yeah, I mean, those are really great tips from both of you on what it'll take if someone's interested in pursuing this type of a program. I'm curious from your perspective of whether these programs truly are scalable and can their longevity be secured? You know, can we have produce prescription programs that are lasting for five years, you know, to really make an impact on people's lives? But Lorena, do you want to give your thoughts on that? Gosh, you know, I, I will I, I will give my thoughts on that. And I, I'm just thinking of what it took <laughs> to partner with just a couple of medical offices and that and that with that took the energy that took the time that it took i think it would be scalable if, if it was approached from medical groups that already have you know a large amount of providers and so and there's there's plenty here in san antonio where we could go into offices where there's going to be you know 10 15 plus providers but so again it's it's really thinking through the stakeholders the team players that really need to be all in on this in order to scale something like this we would need to probably uh, look for for partners like that that have a, a larger entity the way that HEB does so right so we're talking about 400 plus stores here so we need to think of of um, those partners in in that sense too as who has those numbers that can can really match ours too and it, you know, the longevity of it, I, I think definitely is something with the learnings, with the continued learnings and, and fixing all the little intricate pieces that either take more time or not efficient. I definitely think that that would be something that, that can, um, can be something that we can think through for, for long-term. Jillian, what are your thoughts? So for us, we have, that's been something of focus recently, how to make this scalable. So as we had said earlier, this program right now is just at um, my one store and we're hoping to, you know, expand it to other giant stores. And I know DC Greens has hopes of expanding this to Beyond Giant because there is such a need for, for programs like this. So right now we're trying to figure out how to streamline the program. So right now everything has been manual. So like the log that the pharmacy has is a manual log that they then go use essentially like a Google Excel sheet and they're sharing, you know, and typing stuff in manually. So we're, the next phase of this is turning it digital and attaching, attaching everything to our, essentially like our loyalty cards to help with the processes and help us to be able to now do this at other stores. And then also just continued funding. So I know DC Greens is working really hard on getting more funding for the program so that we can keep it going with the participants that we currently have. We can expand it, you know, to other participants, even beyond those that just that have in their healthcare task. So I think streamlining it, making it digital, and then funding is what would be necessary to make it scalable and to assist with longevity of the program. You know, one of the things I think about oftentimes is across the time, you know, it's been eight years now that I've been the executive director of the Retail Dietitians Business Alliance and I always love talking to retail dietitians because all of you have varied roles and take on responsibilities really well outside the normal scope of what a dietitian does. So just in wrap up today, I'd love to hear from both of you of what new skill do you feel you gained or a skill you had, but you honed in working on this or 
how did working on this type of program help you to develop professionally? And I got to definitely give thanks to our great leadership at HEB for helping me learn through this. But, you know, no dietitian ever goes in learning to speak to financials or look at financials. And that's one of the things that through my years with HEB, I have learned to speak a little bit better to financials. And I also, my, my mindset has changed in that, you know, I need to think profitability, right? So how, how are we not going to, how are we not going to bring those profits down by all these grand ideas that we have? Because I would admit most dietitians that I know, we have fantastic ideas, right? On how to, (laughs) how to incorporate this and how to really inspire people. But bottom line comes down to, is that going to be profitable? Mm-hmm. And that was hard for me to understand and really take in as, hey, this is important because I came into dietetics working with low income individuals. And so in my brain, I just thought, oh, I just, I'm going to, I got to give away all of my information. I have to help these people. But I quickly learned that if I continued to do that, I wasn't going to get anywhere. And I definitely wasn't going to help HEB or nutrition services be successful. And so through great leadership, like I mentioned in our nutrition services team, I learned how important it is to understand financials and to to be able to speak to them and relate them to my everyday activity, being able to connect them with the things that should be driving me every day, right? So what needs to drive my, my energy every day. And so those are, those are things I never thought I would have learned as a dietitian. And so pretty proud to be able to say we could speak to that in retail dietetics. Mm-hmm. And I would just echo that. So, you know, with the dietetics background and also I come from a public health background too, and dietitians or just public health nutritionists or what, what have you, we always, we do have grand ideas, things that we want to implement, things that we want to see done. But now working in the retail space, I have had to kind of step back and really understand the business and I'm continuing to learn and which has been, you know, it's been really great experience so far and just understanding what Giant does need to meet its bottom line and how to kind of, you know, forge these public private partnerships by in helping both parties, you know, reach their end goal. And so that's been a learning for sure. But then also I think with this program as well as others, you know, just me with my services that I'm offering um, at Giant marketing and the importance of marketing and marketing to different communities, how I'm, you know, marketing to healthcare providers in the community that I'm serving versus marketing directly to community, to those in the community or residents of the local community, you know, to participate in my programming or talking about this program in general. But I think that's another skill that I have really had to hone in on is marketing of services learning how to communicate with different different groups or different stakeholders. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Well, Lorena and Jillian, I can't thank you enough for being with us today to really share your insights on food prescription programs on the Lost in the Supermarket podcast. Um, this has really been great. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. It's been fun. Thanks so much.